0: ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 2. Last week we began a series in Daniel and so today we have 49 verses to read. We're going to read every single one of them, but we're going to do it a little bit different today. You're not going to have to stand. Um, I'm actually, there's going to be four men who are going to come up and read the parts of Daniel chapter 2, but before they come up, Uh, What I'd like to do is just kind of help direct us to listen uh, just to a a few things. So there's really two audiences in our text today. There's going to be King Nebuchadnezzar, and what we need to think there is, King Neb, what are you trusting in? So, So be thinking that for yourself. That's one of the questions that kind of arises. The other audience is going to be the exiles that will be reading Daniel. And so we also looked last week how the New Testament talks about the church that we live as exiles in this world. And so as we're reading, we want to say, okay, what is the hope that this text gives to exiles in this world? So two questions. What, is, um, what, what are we trusting in? What is the judgment that is um, being presented to King Nebuchadnezzar? And then what is the hope that we have as exiles in this world and so I just want to pray and then I'll have the men come forward and I'll let you guys uh take it from here father Father, we're excited about being here today Lord we love your word Lord in your word you reveal your glory reveal your strength your power your might your wisdom your presence and God I pray today as we are in your word that God we see that glory God, help us to better understand who you are. And God, the fact that you are all powerful, that you know all things, see all things, and you are sovereign over all things, and yet at the very same time, you are with us at every single moment. You hear our prayers. You provide strength to us, power to us, um, wisdom for us. God, you give us hope. Lord, I pray just through your word today, transform our hearts draw us close to you, help us to better understand you, that we would live for you, and that we would uh, trust in you each day. In your wonderful name, Jesus, amen. Amen, I'll go ahead and have you come forward.
1: In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them,
2: I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream.
1: Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic,
0: O king, live forever.
3: Tell your servants the dream, and we shall show the interpretation.
2: They answered a second time and said, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show me the dream and its interpretation... You shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation.
1: They answered a second time
0: and said,
2: Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show
0: its interpretation.
1: The king answered and said,
2: I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, There is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation.
1: The Chaldeans answered the king and
0: said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh.
1: Because of this, the king was because of this the king was angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion towards Arioch, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon he declared to Arioch the king's captain
3: why is the decree of the king so urgent
1: then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah Mishael and Azariah his companions and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven.
3: Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter.
1: Therefore Daniel went into Arioch whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, he went in and
3: said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation.
1: Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judea
0: a man who will make known the king,
2: king's interpretation.
1: The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar.
2: Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation?
1: Daniel
3: answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. "'You saw, O king, and behold a great image. "'This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, "'stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. "'The head of this image was of fine gold, "'and its chest of arms of silver, "'its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, "'its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. "'As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, "'and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay "'and broke them into pieces.' Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken into pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O oh king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. So they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in those days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring to them an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure.
1: Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. The king answered and said to Daniel,
2: Truly, your God is God of gods and lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery
1: then the king gave daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of babylon daniel made a request of the king and he appointed shadrach meshach and abednego over the affairs of province of Bab- babylon but daniel remained at the king's court
0: Thanks guys. You know they've never clapped when I got done reading. (laughs) Just just saying. Uh, Hey, let's pray real quick. God, God change us now through your word. We've heard your word, give us your spirit now, give us understanding, give us wisdom as we study it. In your name Jesus, amen. Um, Real quick, I just wanna give us a few hints. Okay, this is narrative. So that's the type of genre that we're in. This is different than New Testament, like letters Paul writes. Paul says, do this, don't do this. Pretty easy for us to track with. Narrative, we read this, we go, okay, cool. What do I do? And so let me just um, give a few understandings. When we read narrative, one of the things that we want to do is say, okay, what are the different scenes? And and in each scene, what we wanna do is, is ask questions what do we learn about God? What do we learn about man? What do we learn about sin? Um, What are we learning in this scene? And then we kind of want to maybe look at the scenes and say, okay, is there any similarity to these scenes? And so I was going to have a slide, but there's not a slide, so uh, that's my fault. But let me just try to explain this, the way this looks. There's five scenes in Nebuchadnezzar, or in Daniel chapter 2. The first one is King Neb with the wise men and they can't answer him. Okay, that's how it begins. It ends King Neb with, uh, with Daniel and he answers him. Okay, see the opposite? Wise men can't, Daniel does. Then scene two is Daniel speaks to Ariok and says, hey, give me a hearing with the king. Scene four, Daniel speaks with Ariok and says, hey, let me have a hearing with the king. So you see we, we have Daniel with the king, Wiseman with the king, Daniel with Ariok, Daniel with Ariok. In the middle of this, we're going to see um, where the climax of the story comes, and it's when Daniel is praying with his friends, and then we have the praise to God that we learn about who this God is. So that's a little bit how we do narrative, okay? We go through the scenes, and okay, I know that sounds a little bit easy as I just did that. When you first start, it's hard. Okay? And you're going to be like, I have no clue. It just takes practice, um, but when we're in narrative, we kind of just, what are the scenes? Often the scenes are a new person is added, a change of location, something like that, and we just simply want to say, what do we learn in this scene? What's God teaching us here? So that's kind of one of our, ta- one of the tactics when we come to a, a narrative genre like this, how we begin to read it Um, so i hope that's a little bit helpful what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through the five scenes and make some comments as we go the title is what are you trusting in so we start with scene one the wise men unable to answer the king and so uh, just so you know i say king neb a lot because nebuchadnezzar is just you know a few more syllables every time he's conquered most of the known world he has gold Silver, slaves, guards, women, power, chariots, horses, land fame, and prestige. In, in all accounts, if, Times, if Time Magazine was trying to figure out who the man of the year would be, King Neb would be him. His face would be on billboards, flyers, on TV. His voice would be heard on the radio, on Pandora, on Spotify. He would have his Instagram account, his Facebook account, his Twitter account. Everyone would want to listen to him. He would be the social media king that everyone wants to watch. He has everything. He is the pinnacle of success there is no higher than king nebuchadnezzar in fact i think it's in verse 36 of daniel chapter 2 37 you O king the king of kings daniel is clearly acknowledging there's no one like you there's no one like you but then we come to chapter 2 in verse 1 his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him why because he's had a dream now, the dreams, they might not mean much to you. They don't mean much to me. Sometimes I wake up with weird, crazy dreams. Do you ever do that? I just try to go back to bed. In fact, I can't even remember my dreams half the time. But back here in, in uh, Babylonian times, dreams were the primary means in which the gods would speak to the people. So dreams were important. There was a whole dreamology, uh, and they had books on how to interpret dreams, and so King Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. He doesn't know what it means, and it's wrecked him. He doesn't understand it, and he knows it's important. He knows it comes from the gods. um, But because he can't understand it, he doesn't know what it is, he's wrecked. His soul is troubled. He can't eat. He can't sleep. Um, None of the pleasures of the flesh will satisfy him. So this is kind of how we begin. Now, let's just take a moment king nebuchadnezzar he's got power prestige possessions he's got it all and and he's probably happy a lot of the times but at this moment what we see is that none of those things make him happy not all the power in the world not all the prestige that he has not all the possessions and the same is really for us like if if we had everything we want right now like just make your christmas list and all of a sudden check marks next to every single one of them you got it would you be happy Yes, of course you would be happy, right? Like, isn't it a trick question? Like, no, would I? Yes, we love things like that. But the question then, would that happiness last? Would it sustain you? Would it give you that peace? Would it give you joy? And at that we know, well, no, it doesn't. Because power proceeds in possessions, it's kind of like that toy at the bottom of the Cracker Jack box. You remember that one? It's a little piece of plastic junk. But as a kid, you're like, "Uh, the toy, and it's cool, and you play, and you eat all the junk food just to get to that cool, awesome hunk of plastic. And then, like, if your sibling takes it, we're throwing down and fighting at that moment because it's the Cracker Jack box treasure, but then, like, the next day, You don't know where it is, you don't care where it is, you've forgotten it, it's underneath the car seat, it fell out somewhere, it's been ran over, the dog ate it, nobody cares, nobody thinks about it. Um, That's the power of prestige and possessions in this world. It's great, I mean, there's things that we love, but it doesn't last. Uh, Many of you, you go to Walmart, you go to the grocery store, you know those magazines that surround you in the checkout line? I mean, we got actors, actresses, and everything else there. Who are those people? They got power, they got prestige, they got possessions. You know, those magazines about, man, this person's just having a great life now. No. Man, there's fights, there's anger, there's rage, there's divorce. Like, they're just full of just junk, aren't they? We clearly see that these things do not provide lasting peace, lasting joy, lasting satisfaction. Now, to be fair, there's cool things in this world. So I do not want to communicate, the world is bad, stay away from it. There's cool things in this world. Like I told you last week, my kids and I, we play laser tags in the church when you're not here. It's really cool. But you know what? One day those laser tag guns are going to break and we're not going to do them anymore and we won't care. The world is not intended to give us lasting joy and peace and satisfaction. It's not where it's found. It was never intended to provide that. So what does the king do? Verse 2, he calls the dream experts, all the wise men. Now notice, he doesn't include Daniel and the, other wi- and, and the other Hebrews at this moment. Now, most likely, what I'm guessing is he's saying, look, I want the tried and true. We'll keep the rookies for later, but let's get the guys who have proven themselves. This is the first string." okay? He brings them up. These are the dream experts, and he's going to um, tell them. He wants them to tell him the dream. And it's comical, isn't it? the king says look guys my spirit's troubled I need you to tell me my dream if you don't do it I'll kill you I'll burn your house down but if you do it man I'll give you rewards they respond give us the dream we'll tell you he responds no I won't give you the dream you tell me the dream they respond no give us the dream and we'll tell you and he says no I won't give you the dream I'll kill you all like, do you get it? Like, it's just like, it's comical as you read it. You're just kind of, like the dream, I think the word appears like 13 times right there. Dream, no, you give me the dream. No, you give me the dream. No, you give me the dream. Like, they're just like fighting, like back and forth. It's a sitcom. But what's the point? The point's verses 10 and 11. This is what the key is. So check out these verses. The Chaldeans answered, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or chaldean the thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh you see the point king it ain't happening. Like what you have asked, nobody has asked anything this difficult. It's too hard. And our gods? Well, they don't really speak to us a whole lot. They're a little impersonal. They don't dwell with us. I can't call them on Verizon. We don't have bars there. We can't message. We can't text. There's no communication. It's just not happening. So what we learn is that man cannot answer And none of what man trusts in, none of the gods that man has made up, none of them are able to bring about the answer that King Nebuchadnezzar has. He has a troubled soul, and what they they say, the wisest people in the world, there is no answer that the world has for your troubled soul. The world will not offer you hope. ask questions like what's the meaning of life how can i be happy is there more to life than eat work sleep repeat what am i supposed to do here on earth is life really just about raising these kids who don't love me and rebel against me at every moment and i'm trapped with them in the house is this life is it just going to work when i'm working with people who don't respect me don't understand me is this what life is all about and we question and we wrestle with these things and we then turn to the world and say what hope is there what answer is it going to give me what satisfaction does it provide what foundation does it give that i can say okay now i'm at peace now i know what to do and listen you might be here today and maybe maybe for the last few weeks your soul is troubled like you just like you can't sleep you're anxious about things you're wrestling about things You're saying, well, where where do I turn? Or maybe you're here and your whole life is characterized by just turmoil of your soul. You look and you say, man, throughout my whole life, I'm just, I'm not happy, I don't find happiness. Everywhere I look, I think I'm happy, and then all of a sudden it's ripped out from underneath me and nothing provides lasting peace, nothing provides joy. Everything I know, everyone I know, eventually turns their back on me, lets me down, Everything fails. And you're just going, is, is there any hope? Can I turn to anyone? I mean, have you ever known someone like that? I met a guy in Ben just the other day. I'll t- tell you about him in a few moments. He was exactly like that. The world, what we see in Daniel 2, is unable to provide the answers that we need. So we go to the next scene, scene two. Daniel's going to speak to Arioch. This is verses 14 through 16. The king is ordered, all right, you can't answer me. Everyone dies. This is the rage of the king. He's an angry king. Um, so Daniel hears about it. He goes to Arioch. He finds out what's happening. And he says, hey, why don't you give me an appointment with the king, and we'll, we'll, we'll sort this out. And notice that it says Daniel responds. Um, with prudence and discretion do you see the contrast king is crazy king is upset king is turmoil nothing satisfies daniel is sitting here in calmness Now, right? dare to be a daniel right the whole point let's be like daniel how do we be like daniel that's not the point right that's not the point of the text rather what we understand is who the god of daniel is if you look back to chapter 1 verse 17 we were here last week chapter 1 verse 17 this is where we begin to see um, that daniel and his friends have been blessed and we read that god has given god gave them literature and skill in all literature learning and skill in all literature and wisdom and daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams god has already given daniel the understanding of visions dreams what we see is god is daniel is calm and he's peaceful because he knows his god is powerful he knows his god is present and he knows his god will provide everything he needs so the thing is not oh how do we be like daniel it's daniel's god who is this god that gives us this peace when the king says you're going to die and we can respond well actually hold on i know someone who can help it is our God and King so we go to the next scene scene three this is the climax and what we see is Daniel and his friends are going to pray to God for mercy now again is the application when you have something bad happen you just pray and it's going to work out that's what you do just do what Daniel did and you'll be fine there to be Daniel right that's not the application of the text Why does Daniel pray? Because he knows who his God is. That's why he prays. The reason we pray is not to be like Daniel, but because like Daniel, we understand that our God is powerful, he's present, and he provides everything that we need while we're here on this earth that is why they pray and that is what leads us to pray and the only way we know that is when we come to god in his word when we grow in our knowledge of god through his word we will want to pray more and more and i say that don't think that okay so praying just must be easy it's still something we struggle with something uh that that we must work at but it is an act of faith it's one of those things that as we behold our God is powerful our God is present and our God provides what we need why would we not pray and turn to him and so what we see is Daniel prays and what's the thing that we see what does God do he answers does that blow you away it shouldn't but it kind of does right Like, Because we're like, well, I prayed, I didn't get an answer. Well, maybe God did answer, and it was different than what we thought. Or maybe God simply said no. Or maybe we were looking in the wrong way. Or maybe God is saying not yet. I mean, there's many different things that we can wrestle with there. But what we see, chapter 1, God is powerful, he's present, and he provides. Which leads, well, we should then pray to him. And behold, he answers us when we pray. And so then, Daniel, what he's going to do is he's going to praise god and i just want you to think what we're about to read so daniel's going to praise god and notice the contrast between how daniel praises god and how the chaldeans have described their god our gods can't answer us i mean they know everything probably but they don't dwell with us we don't have access to them we can't hear from them we don't really know what they're thinking, and yet here's Daniel. And he's saying, I'm praising God because of who he is. So Notice this contrast. So I just want to give three things that we learn about the God of the Bible right here. Number one, and we read it in verse 20, God is worthy to be praised forever. Notice how Daniel starts out, verse 20. Blessed be the name of our God forever and ever. Where's Daniel? Go ahead. Where's Daniel? He's in exile in Babylon. Never will he see his homeland again. Everything he has has been ripped away. Of course, I know he's probably been there for three years now, and he probably has a nice house and stuff like that, just because of what we read in chapter 1. But he's in exile. He will never see the temple again. He might never see his family again. And yet he's saying, God, you are good and you are forever to be praised. Isn't that good news? Now think about that. Daniel's life is on the line right now. You're going to die because all wise men are going to die because they're not able to answer the question. And here Daniel is praising God. What does he praise him? You are good. You are a good, holy, righteous, awesome God that sound strange a little bit he's in exile but what we learn is our god is good in all of our situations no matter where we are when we have plenty when we have little our god reigns and he is always good and he is always always righteous and so he begins by simply praising god and then notice we read god is the possessor of all might and wisdom if you look at verse 20 it says blessed be the name of our God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. So He's the source of wisdom and might. Like it belongs to him, which means God doesn't look other places for help. Do you know that? I'm at the gym the other day, there's a guy benching, he turns to me, hey, can I, can I give him a spot? Sure, I'll give him a spot. You want to know why he needed a spot? He didn't have the power. I didn't have to spot much, but I helped him a little bit. You know what? God doesn't ever turn to anyone for a spot. He benches the world, he benches the cosmos. Like, he's not saying, man, if I had a little help right now, I could do what I wanted. He's the source of of all power he doesn't run out you don't ever have to be like i'd pray to god but i know he just answered my neighbor so he probably ran out of power now got to wait for him to recharge like that's not the case he's the source of all power he contains all power he's the one who gives power which is why we read later that he's the one who appoints kings and removes kings if anyone has power why God has given it to him. Look at verse uh, 37. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory. Why does King Neb have power, might, and glory? Because it originates from him? No. God gave him. Because God is the source. He contains all power. Let me just read uh, Colossians 1. 15 and 17. I think this is up on the screen. So this is talking about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And I love this. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. You want to know why you breathe right now? It's not because you've got a heart and lungs. And that's part of it. But that's not the ultimate cause. It's because God holds it all together. And He says, breathe. You want to know why your house will be there later, if by God's grace it is? It's because He allows your, gra- your house to be there later. Like Whatever we have, whatever is in this world, it comes from God. He has all power. And so this is the God that Daniel's now praying to. He says, you have all might. But notice, he also, he has all wisdom. There's no mystery. There's no darkness. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of things I don't understand. There's a lot of things I don't understand. There's even things on the Bible that I'm like, okay, I think I kind of got it, but I don't really have it. We are told there's no darkness to God. We're told light dwells with him. You know what that means? He sees everything. You get that? He sees everything. Let me read Psalm 139, 8 through 12. This is a neat, neat passage. It should be up here. This is David. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You want to know why we get scared at night or we we don't like to go out in the woods at night? Because I can't see. You know what? God sees everything. He's never scared. He has no mystery. He has no problems. He he has 2020 vision or 2010 or 25 or whatever the best vision is. He has no contacts he doesn't need laser surgery he sees everything it's all light to him so whatever is happening in your life just know this god sees it you might think man i got this little closet nobody knows god knows it's totally illuminated to him he sees it in bright color there are no secrets to god so so here King Neb has this dream. Nobody knows it. I mean, think about it. I have a dream. Somebody tell me. Like, you don't have a chance on telling me what I dreamed about, right? Like, not a chance. And here, Daniel's going to give word perfect interpretation and dream. How? Because even the things that happen in our mind, God sees perfectly. You've never had a thought that God has not heard, known, and seen. That might bring great comfort to you. That might be a little scary to you also. Never have you been alone. Never have you not been seen by God. Isn't that amazing? Now think about that. You're in exile. Everything has been taken from you. Your life is on the line. Is God here? Is he with us? Oh yeah, he's here. He's present. He's with us every single day notice god gives wisdom verse 21 it says god gives wisdom verse 22 god reveals deep and hidden things verse 23 god has given wisdom and might to daniel what's cool is we have this god he knows everything and yet he gives knowledge he gives might he gives power he lets us share in his glory this is not a god that says oh you can't get up here i ain't sharing nothing with you but he gives This is the grace of our God. He loves to give. You see the difference between verse 11 and this God? Verse 11, the Chaldeans are like, we can't really talk to our God. He doesn't dwell with us. We don't really have any chance. I guess we're going to die. Right? I mean, there's no hope. That's where we feel at times, right? Yet this text tells us, oh, there's hope. Because our God is present. He's powerful. And He's providing everything we need. Scene four, Daniel speaks to Ariok. There's not a lot to say. He says, hey, can I have a hearing with the king? All right, he hooks him up. There's the hearing with the king. Scene five, verses 26 through 49. James, you did a great job reading through all of this. That's a lot. Dude, <laughs> I'll get you a little pillow and, yeah, we'll make that happen. Um, notice how the scene begins. Verse 26, the king says, Can you interpret the dream? Now remember, he's about to kill everyone because they can't interpret the dream. How do you answer? How do you answer? Well, yes, I can answer. Yes, I can do it, king. Daniel's like, nope, nobody can. Bummer. (laughs) Like, that's how we start. Like, I would not have gone that way. I'd be like, yes, I can, and then I'll qualify. But, But Daniel's like, nope, nobody can do it. Then verse 28, God can do it verse 30 he makes sure all the attention is pointing to God look it's only because of God's glory it's only because he knows he's making this known to you this has nothing to do with me it's not because I have more wisdom it's not because I'm smarter than anyone it only has to do with God dare to be a Daniel right if you're humble like him then you'll get everything you want is that the point nope how about this how else could he respond think about it life is on the line what does he do he gets a few guys together and they pray they simply say god look we're gonna gonna die unless you do something we need you to hear us we need you to provide us the dream interpretation what did daniel do he didn't do anything he simply trusted in god who else would he boast in at this moment who else should we ever boast in The reason you have a house, the reason you have a car, the reason you have a job, the reason you breathe at this moment, the reason you have kids, the reason you have clothes, all of that because of God's grace. What do we boast in? Everything we do comes from His grace. comes from the fact that He sustains us right now with His words. What else would we boast in? So Daniel, what he's showing us is what other response would we have To God so yes he's a great example to us of what it looks like to know God to live for him and to talk to him about others we don't take the credit because there's no credit to be taken it all belongs to God so we come to the dream King Neb he has a dream it's a large statue it's made of four parts it's got gold silver bronze iron the irons mixed with clay we see a giant rock made without hands it strikes it it pulverizes it turns it in dust it's all blown away verse 36 and 7 we start the interpretation we see the statue represents four kingdoms we are told that the head the gold is is Babylon right it's King Nebuchadnezzar now this is where we need to be careful most commentaries are going to just jump into the fact well then the silver is the Medes and the Persians, the bronze is the Greece, and the iron and clay is Rome. Now that may very well be accurate, and we'll get to that in chapters seven, eight, 10 and 11. Is that the point now? Do we need to name the kingdoms to understand the message of the text? If you think right now is where we break out our charts and it's like, now I understand the Bible. That's wrong. It's not about understanding the exact kingdom names. Not at this moment. He gives us Babylon, but then all we're told is then there's going to be another kingdom, which we know because at the end of chapter 1, we're told Cyrus has come, right? He's the king of Persia. Babylon has fallen. We know Babylon doesn't last. So what we have is, the great and most powerful kingdom right now is Babylon. But that's going to fall, there's going to be another kingdom. That's going to fall, there's going to be another kingdom. That's going to fall, there's going to be another kingdom. And you know what? That one's going to fall, there's going to be another kingdom. And that one's going to fall, and there's going to be another kingdom. All the kingdoms of the world will pass away. Why? Because there's a rock, and it's not cut with hands which means it's supposed to probably make us think this is some probably divine rock, some type of supernatural rock, and we see it's going to strike the statue, break it, it's going to blow away, and this rock is going to grow, and it fills the entire earth in verse 44 we see so what is this rock i mean don't we want to know that like what's this thing that destroys all earthly kingdoms and grows and fills the earth well i wanted to know verse 44 it's the kingdom of god in the days of those kings the god of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed all kingdoms will fall god has a plan And the plan is that he is establishing a kingdom which comes through Jesus Christ and which will grow. And then one day when Jesus returns, he will bring about an entire new heavens and new earth which his kingdom will fill the entire earth. That is the hope that we have here. All earthly kingdoms will fall, but there's one kingdom that will never fall. And it is the kingdom of God, which means China. China will fall. North Korea will fall. Iran will fall. Pakistan, Tajikistan, all the stands, they will fall. (laughs) It's true. Um, America, is that your hope? Man, if only we get a better president. Now we can have hope. Now we can have peace. Now we'll live forever. Nope. That one's going to fall. Your job. Fame, power, possessions, your house, your car, your phone, Facebook, Instagram, it's all going to fall. None of it lasts. None of it lasts. That's the message. None of it lasts. King Neb, what are you trusting in? You trusting in yourself? You trusting in your kingdom? You think what you do is going to have eternal value you think building a house You think building a kingdom you think everyone acknowledging you is that what the world is really about having really good health i met um i was uh, at a neighbor well it was an older neighbor from where i used to live i saw them at uh, at starbucks and so he comes up to me and, and we started talking and Real quickly, the talking went from, like, small things to, like, big things. And he just turns and he says, have you heard? And I said, well, have I heard what? And you know, like, when that comes, like, something's coming. And he goes, well, my wife has brain cancer. And so at, at that moment, the whole conversation just changes. And she's had chemo. And they said that, you know what? We're not doing any more chemo. She knows she's going to die. So we're in Starbucks. Like, he's crying, I'm crying. <laughs> like, we're all just crying here. People are going, well, that's weird. What's happening in that corner? Like, we can build our lives on our health and say, man, I'm so healthy. I'm such a good mom. I'm such a good dad. Look at the job that I have. I put everything into my job. You know what? It's all going
2: to fall.
0: It just doesn't last. Um. I was at Bend this last weekend. We went for a conference. Bob and I went, Carolyn and Maureen, who aren't here, they're still there. So we went for this cool conference. Uh, Bob and I stayed at a guy's house, and the guy nine months ago was lying dead in his house when his parents came, or when his wife came home. Just dead. And they, they started doing CPR. Eventually, they defibbed him. He came back. He's in his mid-40s. He's like, I, I don't know what happened. I, I don't know why. I mean, his world was turned upside down. Everything he thought that he could just kind of hold on to was gone at that moment. We're not in control. Like, it's an illusion that we think, man, if I build this, if I do this, if I can just get the next house, if I get the next car, this will make me happy. No, it's not. It's all going to fall. I met a man in Bend, I met two guys in Bend. It was interesting. First guy, I'm meeting, and uh, he tells me just some things. so we start, I start sharing the gospel with him, and he wants to be a counselor. Well, the conference we're going to is a biblical counseling conference. I was like, That's easy. like, God teed that one up. And I was like, well, hey, let me tell you about these people right here. And there were some people that were at the dinner from the church, and so I just grabbed one of them, and I was like, you need to talk to this guy, and they can tell you about some counseling. And so, like, he's got his number now, and they're, talking and he's going to try to share the gospel with him i talked to the other guy well that went different so i was talking with him i said hey what do you do and you know just small talk trying to figure out who this guy is and how do i begin talking with him and so i said you know do you believe in god no i don't do that okay i don't i'm i don't care i'm just gonna keep talking and uh so I said, Well, you know, what do you do in life? He's like, Well, I just do what I want. I'm like, Oh, how's that working out? Fine. <laughs> cool. And I ask, are you happy? Of course I'm happy. Yeah. You know, if you yell at you, are happy, just a little hint that you're probably not happy. And so, um, so I go, Well, I mean, well, what if there's more to this world? You know, what what if at the end he's like, just stop, just stop. I don't want to hear about it. I don't care about anything. I do what I want. People suck. People have let me down. I just do what I want. That's how I live. <laughs> All right. We're probably not going to keep talking at this moment. In fact, he left. Um, but man, like my heart was just broken. I was like, there's a day coming. There's a day coming that his kingdom's going to get crushed. And if he doesn't repent, he's going to experience the eternal crushing of God's judgment on him. And it's just sad. I mean, I don't know what events have led him into this life for him to think that way, but that's just the hardness of sin. Think that there's no hope. Listen, what we see in Scripture, everything's going to fall. Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Why? because it's the only kingdom that lasts. It's the only thing that matters, and that's what we see. God's kingdom will stand forever. That's the rock, the kingdom of God. So let me just, when you hear kingdom of God, let's make sure we understand a good biblical definition. This comes from Graham Goldsworthy. He's a super awesome theologian that I've benefited from greatly. He defines the kingdom of God as God's people in God's presence under God's rule. Got it? God's people, in God's presence, under God's rule. So let's just put this in a framework so we understand it. Garden of Eden, God creates man. God has a people. They're in his presence. Man walks with him. They experience the presence of God. They're under the rule of God. They follow God. That's the Garden of Eden. It's a microcosm of the kingdom of God at that point. But what does man do? They rebel against God. They're removed from the presence of God. No longer do they experience the blessing of God's rule. So there's a separation that's now taken place. But God, he doesn't throw humanity under the bus. He says, I'm going to redeem humanity. He chooses Abraham, which then he makes a nation out of Israel, which eventually he creates a nation, and they bring him to the promised land where they have a land. So we have God's people in a land where he will dwell with his temple and his city, experiencing God's rule. But how does that go? Not very well. I mean, we're in Daniel, right? Like Israel's been taken captive. They continually rebelled against God. They didn't have a king that could lead them in that eternal righteousness. And so all throughout the Old Testament, we have, we need a king who can actually lead us. We need a king who won't let us down. We need a king who will forever lead us into the very presence of God. And so then when Jesus comes in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we read, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In Jesus, the kingdom of God is established. Jesus isn't the kingdom of God, but where he is, is the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Because he is God's people. He is the very person of God. He is God. He is the presence of God. And he is the rule of God. And therefore, we as the church, because we believe in Jesus, we also are a picture of the kingdom. Because Christ is in us, therefore we are in the presence of God. We're his people experiencing the rule of God at this moment. But our hope continues forward, knowing that one day Christ will return, there'll be a new heavens, a new earth, and when you're in Revelation 21, it gives you all these pictures of what this new temple could look like. The new temple is not actually a building. Like, I hope you know that. The new temple is the new heavens and new earth where God dwells. In a, God, so it's God's rule, God's people in God's place under God's rule. That's the new heavens and new earth where only God's kingdom exists. There are no other kingdoms. There are no other rules. There is nothing that will fall because we will be in the kingdom and the presence of God. This is why when we continue through the scriptures, we come to Revelation 17 and 18. You might not have read that one lately. We're in the beginning of the year. That sometimes happens towards the end of the year in our Bible reading plans, but you can skip there. Uh, Revelation 17 and 18, what we see is, is Babylon is a woman characterizing the nations of the world and in chapter 18 we read fallen 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 is babylon a day is coming when the world will be passing away and all that is in it will pass away chapters 19 and 20 satan the antichrist all followers of satan all who have not believed in jesus christ will experience the judgment verses 21 and 22 the new heavens and new earth All those who have believed in God will be in the kingdom of God with him forever. What we have here in Daniel chapter 2 is this vision. We have people in exile. Is this it? Are we going to live in exile forever? God's like, no. All these kingdoms, they're all going to pass away. But notice that they're going to still be under the rule of these kingdoms for a while. But there's another kingdom, and it's coming and it will not pass away. It will last forever, and it will grow and fill the entire earth and the cosmos. And that is where we come to Jesus Christ in the hope that he gives us. And so if you believe in Jesus Christ, not only is there forgiveness of sins, I'm not trying to mean that at all, but Jesus doesn't come just to forgive us and say, good luck. He forgives us so that we'd be adopted in his family and live with him forever as citizens, as family members of the kingdom that will never pass away. So if we boil it all down to, the hope that we have is that no, exile is temporary. And everything in this world will pass away. The only thing that lasts are those who have trusted in God. The judgment, we see to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Neb, what are you trusting in? Your kingdom's not going to last. You might be here today, and you've been just focusing on work or other things, and the speaker this last weekend said, we're all prone to drift. We're all prone to drift away from the worship of God. Maybe you've been drifting, and you know, man, if I was to like take my time and money and everything over the last few months, my job, my hobbies, my kids, this is what I've been worshiping. This is where I've been putting all my time. And God might just be calling you back right now saying, look, like those, those are good things. Those aren't bad things. But good things become bad things when they get in the place of God things, right? That's, I think, another thing the speaker said this week. God wants us to enjoy these things, but they must be in the priority that God gives us to them. God gives us them. Let me close. Uh, Anyone know anything about Maine? I don't know anything about Maine except one fact. Oh, maybe two. Uh, But there's a lake in Maine called Flagstaff. Anyone ever hear about this lake? You know what the bottom of Flagstaff Lake is? Flagstaff City, and another city that I don't remember the name of. So basically what happened is Maine is trying to get power more effectively and efficiently, cost efficient, that's always important, to the rest of Maine. So they weighed all the options. The best way to do it was to flood this town and build a dam and do other stuff like that. And so, so that's what they did. And so all the citizens of Flagstaff in their city had to evacuate. You know what they didn't do in the weeks leading up to evacuation? They didn't put a new roof on. They weren't painting. They weren't like, honey, should we remodel? Do we do a reverse mortgage, a second mortgage? Like, do we just get a loan? Like, like, what's the best way to do this? They weren't putting in grass seed. Why? They knew it's all going to pass away, right? And knew all of it was going to pass away. And here on this earth, it's good to have houses. It's good to have cars. It's good to have clothes and things. Like, I got a cell phone. I have an iPad. I I like stuff. But if we're putting our hope in those things, they're all going to pass away. They're all going to pass away. But the one thing that won't, and the one thing that will satisfy you, and the one thing that will give you hope, and the one thing that will give you peace is Jesus Christ. he will give you meaning to your entire life, and he gives you a hope that perseveres through this life, that will persevere you so that you know you will live in the new kingdoms, or the new kingdom of God for all of eternity in the new heavens and new earth. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask the men to come forward, and we're going to take communion. Father, God, your word is amazing. God, I pray, give us wisdom today. God, if we have been drifting from you, if we have not been trusting in you, if we have put other things in place of worshiping you, reveal those to us now that we'd repent. God, lead us to repentance right now. That God, we would put everything in the priority that you have given to us. That God, you are God. That everything falls into submission under you. And everything you have given us is meant to give you glory. Our lives are meant to give you glory. Our possessions are meant to give you glory. Our hobbies are meant to give you glory. Our breath is meant to give you glory. And God, if there is anything that we are doing, yet we are robbing you of that glory. God, reveal that to us because we know it will not last. We know it's in vain. It's futile. God, draw us into you today. May we see the hope that is in you. In your name, Jesus, amen. I'm going to invite the men to come forward.